Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and we will read your review on the air and give the next one to do it. We'll get a 4K Blu-ray copy of I Spit on Your Grave. Uh, so let us know when you do that, and we'll be sure to read it on the air, especially if you're from another country, because we don't always see those. Uh if you want to support the podcast, patreon.com slash critics pods, the best way to do that there. You can find our Nirvana Metallica and Beatles episode, uh, bonus episode that are only there along with our a 24 episodes or I spit on your grave episode and so many more. Uh, that's patreon.com slash critics pod to help support the podcast. And then if you want some of our podcast merch, I hate critics.net up in the right hand corner, there is the T public page. Or you can just search Critics Pod on TeePublic. We also broadcast live on YouTube, usually Monday evening, sometimes Sunday mornings, sometimes Tuesdays. Depends on the week. But we will also post a link on our social media pages when we go live. Or and you can also subscribe on YouTube and click on a click on the little bell in the upper right hand corner if you want to be notified when we go live as well. Alright, it's our big best of episode, but before we get there. We're going to talk about the newish movie of the week. I know we skipped a week. So uh, we will start first with. I don't want to skip ahead. Oh, this is out of order. (laughs) How did that happen? I numbered these so they'd go in order. (laughs) Uh, We'll come back to it anyway. The Matrix Resurrections. Yes, the the Matrix. Matrix Resurrections uh, is. uh, a uh, sequel to the Matrix franchise, uh, picking up uh, several years in the future where uh, Neo, uh, Mr. Anderson, is now uh, back inside the Matrix and not uh, aware of the world outside. He's been uh, somehow reinserted into the Matrix and is working in a video game company where he's best known for creating the Matrix, (laughs) a video game uh, that uh, features all the things that he did and the first three Matrix movies. Uh, he's done this. Uh, they've, he's been convinced of this by his uh, psychiatrist, played by Neil Patrick Harris, as well as by his partner, played by Jonathan Groff, who has a secret identity of his own. Uh, reality once again begins to slip after a character named Bugs, played by Jessica Henwick, uh, pulls a program called Morpheus out of uh out of the matrix and into the real world of sorts. Uh, this character uh, of Morpheus is played here by Yaya Abdul-Mateen. And there's a reason why uh, this is not Lawrence Fishburne. It's because it's not really Morpheus, not the Morpheus that we know. Uh, it's a computer approximation of what Neo kind of remembers of Morpheus. Uh, that's going to become clear as this story unfolds. Uh, as we understand, come to understand this brand new version of The Matrix, uh, directed by uh, Lana Wachowski, who really goes heavy meta on, on this, uh, especially the first half of this movie. And, it, and it's quite entertaining in that way. It's got a lot of big action set pieces. Uh, 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 Keanu Reeves just slips right back into this role with a great deal of 
ease and charisma. Uh, I liked the inside jokes about the Matrix, and I liked the idea of the Matrix being a video game inside the Matrix, the way that's used to sort of trick Neo into into this new life of his that uh, does get explained. Everything, in fact, gets explained. Uh, people have been complaining that they're confused by this movie, and I don't understand that because it's like it, it completely makes sense. They they explain all of this. They they do a pretty good job of under, underlining all of the detailed elements of this, why things are the way they are, uh, whether it's Agent Smith or or Morpheus or you know other aspects of it. So I I, I found the movie quite entertaining. I don't I didn't find it as World changing is the original, which at the time was kind of like a shocker uh, in terms of a blockbuster with a, a big brain behind it and a lot of big big ideas. Uh, but in terms of just being a big blockbuster action movie, I, I really liked it. I was surprised to see it uh, fail as hard as it did. Well, it was on HBO, and I don't know. I don't know if they've really started releasing those metrics or not. Uh I watched it, and I'm not a fan of The Matrix. I haven't seen the second or third one. Uh, I was still able to follow it, but at the same time, it was... I had a harder time with the meta stuff. Like To me, that works better in a comedy. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I I think of, like, 21 Jump Street or something like that. Where And, you know, when they're referencing, you know, down the streets, 22 Jump Street, or across the streets, the, you know, and it... And I get it. And it's funny. And here it was just it was more bothering me. But at the same time, I don't care about this. I'm not interested in the subject matter at all. So it's hard for me to count my opinion as meaning anything because it's just not a movie that I'm I care about at all. <laughs> so, uh, but I gave it a shot. And there's, I mean, I I don't know why people think it's confusing. I mean, I haven't seen the second and third one and I knew what was going on. So if that, I, I, that's weird, a weird criticism for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think if you're confused by this movie, you're just not trying. Uh. (laughs) But there's something too, though, where maybe it should be more confusing. I don't know. It's, I don't know. I, I, I'm so not into, you know the world within a world type storylines that's not something i'm scared of that's not something i even consider as a possibility and if it is a possibility i don't care because i'll deal with it then (laughs) that's kind of my uh you know the way i look at that possibility if you know we're all inside of a whatever if the matrix were real i just don't care and (laughs) and they they don't really bring anything new in terms of you know, the, like you said, how groundbreaking the first one was that doesn't exist here. It's fine for an action movie, you're right, but there's nothing uh, groundbreaking here at all. And to the point where they talk, like they work in some of the groundbreaking things from the first movie is part of the plot point in this movie with the, uh, what did they call it? The gunshot, the grunt, I don't know how. Bullet time. The bullet time, that's right. Uh, I don't know. It, it's I'm. Sh- I I really have no idea what I, I, the few people I've heard talk about it were fans and they liked this one. Okay, mm-hmm. they didn't love it, they didn't hate it, but I don't. It, it, you're right. It is kind of weird how quickly this left 
the pop culture you know it just after christmas weekend or before right before it you just didn't hear about this again yeah so that's kind it was of weird. shocking to me I, I I love I love how this movie has such a, a heavy meta quality, like to the point where like Keanu Reeves is the perfect lead for this, because the way he's become a, a sort of pop culture icon, he is a person now that you would want to rescue. Like he's a person who you want to pre- see protected and and treated well. And that's kind of what the whole point of the Matrix Resurrections is, is rescuing uh, Keanu Reeves and making sure he's OK. <laughs> and then paying tribute to how what a nice guy he is. <laughs> that, that meta was kind of cool to me. I, I really enjoyed that. I also enjoyed uh, Jessica Hedwig, who plays the character of Bugs, is this new sort of insert character who uh, is kind of uh, gender fluid and and exciting and different looking and uh, really charismatic. I really loved her performance. But uh, my favorite performance in the movie isn't any of the leads. It's uh, it's Jada Pinkett Smith, who returns as Niobe, a very much older version of Niobe. She is fantastic. The makeup, a little iffy, but her performance and the way she brings the past to the present so beautifully, I uh, that was my favorite part of the movie. I was really surprised to find that to be my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, I- you know, back to the meta stuff. I part of me was wondering how meta they were going to go, and if somehow they're going to get counter reason involved in this, and then tie in Bill and Ted. I mean, just because the way he—I don't know—you're he, right. He's a guy you want to root for, a guy you want to save, but he also he needs to be confused, uh, which he does really well <laughs> as an actor. But you know, his some you know Bill and Ted; th- those characters yeah. were confused characters. And at times I was kind of like, what is he? I don't know. I just had a hard time with it, but I'm also not. I don't know what he was like in the other two movies outside of the first one. And I did watch the original again. And I just, I had a hard time getting into it. And that could just be me, you know, getting stuck around the peripheral and not really digging into the movie. Uh, And again, I just, it's not a subject matter I care about. So that's part of the problem too. You know, we have a uh, a one degree separation from the creators of the Matrix. Our, our buddy cousin Jeff is actually friends with one of the Wachowskis. Really? <laughs> yeah. Which, which one? Legit. Uh, I can't remember which one off the top of my head. And this is only Lana, right? Lily is not yeah. part of this. Any? Right. Do you know why? Or is there? I don't. I don't know. Busy doing something else. Could be busy doing something else. I don't know for sure. They both have enough money that it doesn't really matter if they work again. So, this is true. And then part of me was like, I mean, it's a lot longer than the other Matrix movie, uh, like Cloud Atlas long. <laughs> and I was wondering how, how I don't know. It wasn't that weird though. It was. It was like again, it wasn't. It wasn't boring by any stretch of the imagination. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh. Anything else on this one before we go to the first one? No, I liked it. Uh, I didn't like it enough to actually finish my review of it on my written review, but I, I liked it enough. <laughs> yeah, but if you didn't get it out right away, no one was going to read it because <laughs> they already forgot it exists. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is the original Matrix. 
1999, The Matrix, starring Keanu Reeves, and of course, uh, Lawrence Fishburne in the role of Morpheus, along with uh, uh, a pretty terrific cast uh, supporting players, including Hugo Weaving as, uh, as Mr. Smith or Agent Smith, who becomes uh, a main protagonist uh, throughout the early, throughout the first three films. Uh, this is the story of Thomas Anderson, who is a hacker in this uh, universe. He uh, has been receiving messages from a guy named Morpheus who has been promising to lift the veil of the universe for him. Uh, and that's what he does. Essentially, he gives him a choice between a red and a blue pill. The red pill takes him out of the matrix and into what is the real world, which has been uh, destroyed by a war between man and machine. Um, echoes of the Terminator and some great uh, sci-fi of the past are in there, which is pretty cool. Uh, but uh, Keanu Reeves is the center point here, and uh, he's a, such a great, uh, you know, innocent, naive lamb <laughs> being led into a, a very difficult potential slaughter. Uh, he's just so he's so interesting as a lead. He's such a perfect audience avatar because really the Lord, the 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 Keanu Reeves of this particular time was kind of not as big a star as he was about to be and he was a kind of he developed a a reputation for you know these kind of absent-minded naive characters who were kind of not particularly bright and sort of carried along by the plot and that's not to say that he's a bad actor it's just that sometimes that's how he came off and so it made him actually perfect for this role because you feel like neo you are neo essentially you with keanu reeves and I, I know it sounds like I'm criticizing calling him blank, but he really is kind of a blank slate for you to easily project yourself upon and into his mind and his feelings. Um, and that that's kind of the experience of the Matrix is being able to feel like you are Neo and feel like you get to be that cool and feel like you get to be the one, uh, which I, I find to be a very compelling plot and a very compelling way to carry forward an action movie. No, I mean, that's a fair description of him as well because it's not he's not always like that but he, he hadn't gotten to that level of stardom yet i mean even a movie like speed really launched sandra bullock and he it, it launched him too but his character you know you don't remember that keanu reeves in any other movie you know that's isolated to speed uh you know point break he was kind of an airhead bill and ted like i was mentioning earlier you know so he always you knew just enough that uh, that makes sense why he's the perfect person for this role. Uh, and then, you know, you can't underestimate the, the power it had on pop culture. Mm-hmm. The issue is the time that it came out, it was so quickly parodied and copied and, uh, you know, usually you had a little time to sit on it with. It was almost instantly that the bullet time shot <laughs> was everywhere yeah. after that <laughs> and so it lost some of its groundbreaking you know you, you forget how groundbreaking it was and so quickly right. it became a joke that it didn't get i mean it got the credit it deserved but it i don't know i don't feel like it gets held on the same level as something like star wars or you know something else you know from earlier because there's more time to live with that stuff and you know we were already starting to become such a disposable <laughs> Uh, I don't know, population or whatever, whatever the word is, uh, that I don't think it, we kind of take its groundbreaking what it did for granted. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, I just don't care. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, 
it's again I the other thing that I've mentioned before on the show is one of my best friends in high school's name is Thomas Anderson and at the time you know he was starting to I don't know we were just kind of starting to go different directions to the point where we're just like oh my god I don't want to be around this person anymore and probably he probably felt the same about me and then to go and see this movie like literally the year after we graduate <laughs> Uh, I was just like, fuck this character. I don't. <laughs> uh, so I don't know again, but uh, it's not boring. It's easy to follow. It's just something I'm not, you know, it's the same thing when I, we were talking about musicals a few weeks back. It's just not something I'm interested in or care about. So I don't spend a lot of time searching out movies like this. And hopefully the, the, go ahead. the funny reputation that this movie develops to among like uh, alt-right thinkers who, you know, I've taken the red pill. I see what the world is really about. That's very funny to me because the red pill, blue pill thing and reality and the, you know, the shifting of one reality to another is actually a metaphor for Lily and Lana's transition. Uh, the, the red pill is them changing their gender and seeing the world for what it really is through their eyes, becoming uh, who they really were. Uh, that's really what the red pill, blue pill metaphor is all about. It's a trans metaphor. So for this to have been adopted by the alt-right is very, very funny to me. <laughs> now you're making me like this movie a little bit. <laughs> I can get behind that. Especially the, you know, it's, I, I always love like, you know, the born, you know, born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen thing that all of a sudden Reagan's running around with, you know, right. when you trick somebody into, you know, believing that something's yours when it's not, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that, that does add a little bit to this for me. <laughs> yeah. And that, and the thing about it, the, the, this matrix resurrections, I didn't bring it up uh, because it, it, it can kind of be a kind of a convoluted metaphor, but, and, and I don't think either Lily or Lana have really talked about it in their transition, but uh, psychiatry has a very, negative history when it comes to uh when it comes to people who are trans they, they try and convince you that uh, what you're what you're feeling isn't real they try and tell you you know you think you're a woman but you're actually a man and part of the reason why neil patrick harris's character in matrix resurrections is a psychiatrist uh a program disguised as a psychiatrist is to try and convince neo that the matrix is real and essentially the same thing that Lily and Lana both went through with uh, psychiatrists and, and mental health people trying to tell them you're not a, you're not a woman you're a man and trying to convince them what their reality was even though they could see what their reality was. You know, not to get away from that point, but do you think when they were like, did they have this whole at least the trilogy portion of it? Do you, did they have that all mapped out from the get-go, or did they just like this is successful? Let's do part two. Uh, I think I think it becomes successful, and they get uh, pushed into. It. I think sequels kind of came about because of the success of this film. You look at the rest of their work, and it, and and it's not necessarily anything that you're thinking about multiple. Well, maybe Speed Racer, I guess, would have multiple sequels, but like they, they're just much more original thinkers in terms of in terms of their storytelling than. Right. I, I may not like Cloud Atlas, but it's a big fucking idea. Oh know? yeah, and I, I I can't appreciate that fact, even if I hate that movie. Oh no, I I get that completely, and I totally Whereas, understand why Josh would fall in love, or not just yeah. Josh. I'm not bad, but I get why people would right. love that movie as well. 
uh, yeah, I, it's they're fantastic filmmakers. They've definitely done some, if nothing else, movies you want to talk about, you know, True. for good or bad. <sighs> Anything else? Would you like two and three? Or do you not really remember? I wasn't a, I wasn't a huge fan uh, of either one. They're, I found them to be entirely convoluted and, and the, the, special effects you know were were not quite caught up to where they wanted them to be so everything is very rubbery in two and three as opposed to this movie which has slightly more practical uh effects involved uh of course the the invention of bullet time uh it doesn't look rubbery in the in in 1999 but by 2002 and 2003 it looks like rubber characters be they look like bendoms wrestle wrestler (laughs) bendoms from the 80s and somehow looks less real than it did in 99 and that is one thing that i think's neat about this fourth one is that it kind of stands i mean it's part of the universe but it stands on its own it doesn't get wrapped up in anything convoluted i mean it works as a story uh and i don't i'm not distracted by anything from the past if that makes any sense i don't think it gets lost in mm-hmm. anything they do a good enough job of separating themselves from those worlds it's clever you know they, they, the way they do things is clever. Like Neo subconsciously creating the program of Morpheus, specifically, or not known, not knowing that he was doing it intentionally to get the intention of people like uh, Bugs. It's reminiscent of what he was doing in the original movie, which he was contacting Morpheus, uh, you know, online via his hacking. Here he's doing it subconsciously. Uh, because again, no matter what, for this guy, for for Neo, for Thomas Anderson, this Matrix will never fully be real, and he'll all there'll always be a part of him that's searching for the real world, that's searching for what's real out there. And I, I just love that idea, the way that they use the original movie in that footage and and change it, and have Bugs as the sort insert character say, "This is not how this went down originally." I I know this. This is our this is our person. This is our history. This is the way we remember. The way we remember it is different from this. Uh, that that was such a clever way to introduce you know, a newest a new version of Morpheus and, and a way to kickstart that story. It was very clever. Absolutely. All right, now it's time to dig into our top 10 movies of 2021 and in all fairness i haven't seen nightmare alley i haven't seen the soho movie i haven't seen licorice pizza i haven't seen uh ghostbusters (laughs) Uh, and there's a few others that i haven't seen that are that i don't get to have on my list but uh I don't remember which one of us I had going first, so I'll just flip it, and whoever it is can go, and it is me. <laughs> All right. Uh, I had a hard time with number 10 because there's three movies. Well, one that's Power of the Dog, which was I ended up being an honorable mention, but a movie that I just really kind of fell in love with her as a filmmaker uh, from that week, and it's not totally for that movie it's for the piano as well and i just it was kind of fun to discover somebody who's been around a while and i thought that was a hell of a movie and then there was we need to do something a movie that wasn't quite perfect and i think we kind of came up with a better version of that movie when we talked about on the podcast although i still liked the movie and i liked the originality of it and then there was this one the gin i don't remember how to pronounce it uh i found this to be kind of an original idea too and 
I, I just, that was the one thing that really helped 2021. Um, I got an argument with my brother, not an argument, just kind of debate. And he was calling this a shitty year for movies. And I was calling it a great year for movies. And he's like, name a good blockbuster. I'm like, I don't know, but lamb's fucking awesome. And, (laughs) and movies like this, and even we need to do, we need to do something. And uh, a couple of movies we're going to get to later on. I just, we're all really great original movies. And this one, I like the use of the boy who couldn't talk, uh, the dad being gone. I don't know. I just thought it was a neat, clever little horror movie idea. And also putting this list together at the last minute. Uh, this one just kind of hung on at 10. Uh, I think we liked it. I could have swore we liked it. Oh, at absolutely. The time. Uh, Absolutely, the Jin's a terrific movie. You know, the 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 way they use the way they use that small space, that tiny apartment is brilliant. And just the the use of spacing and the the camera work is very clever. The visual invention, uh, the you know, the of the villain is fantastic. This that uh, really creepy face makeup right at the very end. That shocker moment is fantastic. Uh, the kid is great. So there's a lot of really good ideas uh, and, and two very clever directors who really, uh, you know, put a lot of thought and a lot of care into creating the scares that they create in that movie. Yeah. So I, it just, I, I think these small little movies really, there were quite a bit of them this year and I, I really recommend you checking out as many of them as possible. Uh, this is just one to start with. But let's move on to year number 10, I Blame Society. Yes, I Blame Society, written, directed, and starring uh, Jillian Horvat, is a uh, sort of documentary about a woman who wants to be a documentary filmmaker. And she gets this uh, supposed compliment i guess from a couple of friends who tell her she'd make a great serial killer Uh, essentially she's a sociopath and this sets her off on a path to make a documentary like am i really a sociopath am i really actually a psychopath in the end uh and it's also got echoes of of me too it's got echoes of uh, so many you know great female filmmakers of the past but it is just dark disturbing and so so funny she is so hilarious in doing just these completely over the top ridiculous and then eventually violent things that she does it is a relentless movie it is one that does not let up on its satire it doesn't uh, let up on her being uh, a villain but also a villain who has a as kind of a point in the end uh i just i love this movie so much it's one of the funniest movies of the year but it's also like ridiculously violent and i love that <laughs> just love the combination she is a filmmaker i'm going to be watching for for years to come because she's just so smart well, i want to move on to my number nine. Oh, it's the same movie uh, <laughs> again wholly original uh, that's something that really is something i've been lacking we made we, you know we made the blue balls joke when spider-man came out and uh it's these little movies that are getting a chance to kind of succeed and have a life on these streaming platforms that uh, they seem to be getting better all of a sudden. Not that, I mean, I'm sure they were there before, but they're just, I don't know when a filmmaker has the ability to just do what they want and not have to answer to a studio that really does give the movie something, some more depth for you know, at least me as a viewer, that's what I'm looking for in movies like this. 
uh, or movies in general and movies like this are giving it to me uh this is fantastic i couldn't recommend it enough uh definitely go out of your way to find this one came out one year ago next week if you can believe that <laughs> yeah all right you had pig what is this number nine Yes, my number nine is Pig, starring Nicolas Cage in uh, arguably the best performance of his career. And that says a lot because he's you know got a lot of really amazing performances in his career. Uh, but Pig is just one that just, just gets under your skin. Uh, I was so mad when this movie came out and people were calling it John Wick with a pig. That is such a stupid, reductive idiotic way to look at this movie because that's not what this is this is a uh, a lovely film that is about yes there's some there's some violence in there but it's it's got a point to it it's got a purpose to it it's got a weirdness to it that is uh you know part of the whole overall story but uh the goal just a guy trying to find his pet pig it sounds like a weird premise. And then you add Nicolas Cage and it sounds like an even weirder premise. And then director Michael Sarnowski does something brilliant. He doesn't make a really weird movie. He makes a movie about a man who is grieving, who's a little bit lost, who's kind of found his purpose through finding troubles with this pig and living in the woods off the grid, away from the world. Uh, and it's about him returning to the world and finding himself a little bit and also helping other people kind of find themselves, and especially Alex Wolf's character, who is a, a very shallow individual at the start of the movie, who kind of gains depth uh, throughout through his relationship with Nicolas Cage. And then you have, uh, I believe it's Alan Arkin uh, in there as well, who has, the two of them share one of the best scenes in all of the movie. But there are two movies in here that arguably, or two scenes in this movie that could arguably be called the best scene of 2021 right. uh which is uh, saying something uh, as a whole i think the movie is phenomenal but those two scenes are so amazing and cage is so amazing in them he's so in control and uh, he's just so dynamic it's incredible to watch and i'm 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 happy to see that uh, he got a nomination for best actor for critics choice awards which is uh, much much deserved I, I do plan on I'm voting for him to win uh, in that category because I do think this was the best single performance by an actor in any movie last year. Uh, and I, there just happened to be eight other movies that I really love a little bit more. Just a little bit more. But at least, like, my top eight could shift very easily. It's very subjective this year. Oh, I couldn't agree more because i think we have a lot of the same movies but they're randomly all over the place and <laughs> in the past for, especially the last five years i feel like you and i have been a lot closer other than the fact that you've seen more uh it seems like our you know midsummer landing at the same time hereditary landing together we in a way had a lot that were you know our threes and fours are matching up a lot here we have a lot of the same movies but randomly different orders and it's kind of <laughs> but that's how cool of a year it was because it really yeah. They're all when you were dealing with originality like that. Uh, I don't want to be a broken record, but I, I that allows for more. I don't know, just just to be surprised and everybody can buy into what they like more. I love Pig. This is one of my favorite movies of the year. You mentioned, you know, how the director just made a sweet little movie surrounded by weirdness. Like he mapped out this path through this land of weird and flirted with it you know he played with it and right. 
so I actually love the John Wick with the pig comparison, not because it's accurate, <laughs> but because he like gives you enough to go there, but he never. No, he doesn't. He he flirts with it. He never quite gets right. there, and the whole time you're like, "When's the action going to start?" What's and it and it, it's just such a, I don't know. It's pure perfection, really, as far as I'm concerned. I absolutely love this movie. All right, what do we got next? Don't look up. Can I hear? Part of the problem with not being able to see as many movies as everybody else. Uh, your movies like this, which I think are is good. Uh, this is my number eight. But I noticed it's not on your list, and uh, an honorable mention for me, right? And it's I Adam McKay it walks this line of sometimes he goes a little too far left, other times he just kind of is good. To me, this is the best thing he's done. I think. I mean, even I know he's got Anchorman and stuff, but mm-hmm. I, I loved the satire of this movie it's it goes hard very very hard and at the same time like someone like my dad who leans a little bit more right than i do can watch this and appreciate it <laughs> you know uh and because it, it does a good job of not saying which side everybody's on you know it leaves enough open that people can realize we're just freaking idiots you know and that's <laughs> right Everything about this movie feels so real, even in its over-the-top satire that's going on. It feels so real, uh, and I just I, I find the idea to be hilarious. You got some of the best actors in the world: Kate Blanchett, Meryl Streep, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Jonah Hill. You know, Mark Rylance is phenomenal. It's <laughs> Ron Perlman. You know, it, it, oh my god. <laughs> So many great moments of Ron Perlman. Uh, <laughs> and just I don't, everything that happens is so like it's frustrating, but it's something that you feel like happens in real life all the time. So it's a satire, but it's very, very. It it definitely goes hard in the paint, if that <laughs> makes sense. And I appreciate it about this movie, and it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I just I, I like what it's going for, and uh, and I think he walked that fine line of you know really making a good point without preaching to the choir. Like I think mm-hmm. this is the type of movie that could actually reach somebody, maybe. Uh, so I don't know. I appreciate that about this movie. I I think it's uh, I think it's his Doctor Strange love. I think it's that level of of savage satire of modern politics that dr strange love is still like one of the all-time classics and this may not rise to the level of an all-time classic per se but i think in uh in adam from adam mckay's perspective this is that level of good uh he he has he's on that same uh wavelength that uh, that kubrick was on when he made that film about how we're edging towards complete disaster because we're all very, very stupid. And the people in charge are even stupider than the people being led, uh, which is kind of Kubrick's thesis statement on, on strange love is the same thesis statement here. Uh, I, I adore this movie. I, I just love Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> this movie is so she's so underrated in this performance, the way she's treated throughout and, and how she just, She's just so frustrated. <laughs> just, 
Oh God, it's so good. There's so many good moments in this. The the with the comet coming towards Earth and Ron Perlman shooting at it is just <laughs> so funny. That is the just such a major laugh at a moment where you're also kind of thinking about potentially crying because it's so sad what's about to happen. Uh, there's so many brilliant things about this movie. Meryl Streep's tramp stamp is great. Wow. <laughs> It's so so perfect. Every just every aspect of this movie is so strong, and I really do appreciate it. It narrowly missed my my list. And what I guess I like about it best is, you know, lately we've this seems like the movie we reference to sum up today is Idiocracy, and I think this can and because it's a, a neat idea and kind of a sloppy movie. This can kind of take that over as far as I'm concerned. This one really does Absolutely. sum up the way uh, our world is today. All right. John and the Hole. John and the Hole, directed by Pasquale Sisto and starring Charlie Shotwell as a, uh, a 12, 13-year-old kid who finds this uh, hole, this uncompleted sort of bunker uh, somewhere in the forest behind his home and hatches this very odd idea that he's going to take he's going to drug his family his older sister his mother and his father and place them in this hole and kind of live as an adult uh for you know four or five days and kind of try it on and see how it fits him uh it's the story of a you know a young sociopath just kind of figuring out am i going to be a serial killer or am i going to be a person and Pasquale Sisto creates so much amazing imagery and he creates so much tension from silence and observation. It's amazing. And then you've got this, just the, a number of overarching metaphors that are playing out throughout that really you, some of them you can't explain, but you're fascinated by them. Nevertheless, there are a pair of characters in this movie that existed seemingly, seemingly in their own timeline, of this movie that you don't know if it relates, how it relates to the original, but it does in some way. And there's a lot of ways to look at it. I love being able to attack and, and try and, you know, piece together exactly what this means. It is extraordinary. Oh, and Pasquale Sisto is such an amazing director. Just the, again, like I talked about it, his use of color, his use of silence, the use of, Framing, uh, you know, the, the hole itself is is fa- fantastic. But then you've got this kid, Charlie Shotwell, these big vacant eyes, this uh, floppy haircut. He's so innocent looking and so sweet looking. And then he's doing this thing that is incredibly, incredibly disturbing. And uh, I, I just... I'm fascinated. I love the choices that this movie makes. And uh, I really want to, I want to go back and watch it again and again and again, just to try and find new meetings. This was probably my favorite episode that we recorded this year was when we did this movie. Uh, We, we dove down a couple holes, tried to figure out the movie out. And I just made me love even that much more. Uh, I love the way they like, he uses, you know, this kid's being a sociopath to use that as a metaphor for like adolescence and puberty and growing up and find, you know, all while other things that make no sense, at least on the surface are going on and you got to kind of figure it out. And again, another director flirting with 
total disaster where it could just totally make the movie fall apart and make you hate it and just never yeah. gets there. You know, it, it just walks that line so perfectly and instead makes something more fascinating than anything else. And I, I just, I love everything about this movie and it'll be showing up a little later. Good. All right. I, again, haven't seen as many movies, uh, but I I really like The Last Duel. I've always been a Ben Affleck, Matt Damon apologist. Uh, and then you throw in Adam Driver and, you know, Ridley Scott and this uh, new up-and-coming person I didn't know before. Is it Jodie Comer? Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Uh, and a movie that, as I'm watching it, I'm hating it for a while until I realize what's going on. Yeah. They're telling the same version three different times of the story. Uh, I think it's insanely smart. I think it's a great. It's a great. It's a movie, and I'm going to sound like an idiot, but Ridley Scott bitched that kids don't like to be taught things when they go to movies. But this is a great movie when it comes to teaching people things. This really does nail the Me Too movement perfectly. But the way they, you know. In all three stories, Adam Driver rapes her, even in his own. Mm-hmm. But it was okay in his version. You know that that's kind of, uh, I don't know. I, it it is just very, and even I don't know. I just think it's really smart. I think the performances were top notch. I don't know if Ben Affleck's ever been better. Uh, and i just really think more people should see this movie especially if you are annoyed by the me too movement and you're annoyed by the woke culture and all that stuff i think this is a good movie for explaining why it's unnecessary for that stuff to exist uh yeah it is yeah absolutely this movie uh gets right you know the the i the way people uh, see things, how Damon see things, how everybody can see the same series of events in a in a very different way, uh, and it never apologizes for Damon or Driver or Affleck's characters. They're all bastards. <laughs> they are bastards, uh, and it doesn't apologize for them. But it gives you the sense of why they think they're right, and uh, and then you get her version of things that seems perhaps the most right and how she is just consistently their victim throughout, regardless of what she tries to do. And uh, it's a commentary. It's just such a brilliant commentary on the way society treats a woman uh, and has for so many years. And it's so smart in, in, in playing it out as it does, uh, you know, yeah, allowing you, you the audience, to sort of piece together what you're watching, all while this grand, you know, Hollywood epic is taking place with, you know, knights and battles and blood and guts and all that stuff is taking place. You've also got this story happening, uh, and Jodie Comer is incredible. Uh, just give her every fucking award, please. Yeah. She's so 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 good in this movie. Yeah, and what I think I love most is it's not like she's a perfectly spotless squeaky clean character she's flawed she's got her she's not perfect either uh and so they allow you to see that you know the roughness in her character and still uh, pull off what they're trying to pull off with the meaning of the movie and i think it works that much better it's it's not spoon feeding you it's hard i mean it's it's emotional it's there's some really hard to watch moments but uh, I just I 
It's the best thing Ridley Scott's done in a while, I think. Very true. And you know, <laughs> I can't believe that people talk about House of Gucci no instead shit. of this. It's really stupid. House of Gucci is a terrible movie. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's it, this is so so incredible and and so so smart. It's a it's an honorable mention for my list. Uh, it narrowly missed it, like a number of different movies did, but uh, it is just so good and uh, it's just such a great way to explain. Like there's a there's a trial scene in this movie that is basically it's basically like Twitter. Like a woman tells the truth and then everybody goes, "Aha!" But what about when you did this? Mm-hmm. Well, that has nothing to do with this. Well, it doesn't matter. That ruins your credibility. But that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like that. Oh my god! It's an argument on Twitter. <laughs> but the thing about it is, it's you know, it's not where someone would walk in and roll their eyes at it either. It, it, right, it right. plays out very realistically. and It's very true to the story, yes. Yes, and that's what I just, I don't know. I, I thought it was just very smart, and I definitely recommend people check it out. Lamb. Yes, Lamb, uh, my number seven movie of the year, is just this incredibly bold and unique uh, film from uh, Valdemar Johansson that's starring Numi Rapace and Hilmer Schneider Goodnesson, uh, a movie that is criminally underseen because people don't like foreign films. Uh, <laughs> this is a movie about uh, uh, a lamb, that a human born with a lamb. I, I, it, I don't even know how to even tell you what this movie's about. Uh, you know what it's about, probably just from from the materials and from the or you know the way we talked about it. Everybody talked about it, but uh, you you really don't know what this movie's like until you watch it. It is so amazingly suspenseful uh, throughout uh, the way it builds suspense and tension, and then lets you breathe for a moment, and it builds more tension and suspense, and lets you breathe for a moment. And all the while building to, to this ending that just left me in a heap, like in my jaw on the ground, just I, I was emotionally spent just experiencing this movie. This movie is an experience. It, it carries it just washes over you and carries you with it. And just the way he builds this movie throughout the, the tension, the turning of the screw is so strong throughout this movie. Uh, the, 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 the soundtrack is incredible. Newbie rapace is amazing, but his use of quiet, his use of stillness, the, the holding back on, on what you know is there, which <laughs> I got to have this sort of a, this sort of midsummer experience, but in the middle of the movie, <laughs> because of the, you know, midsummer, the very ending just fucked my head up so badly as I was walking out, just muttering to myself about what happening to the end that happened to be about 20 minutes into lamb when I'm like, show me that fucking abomination. Now show it to me. I want to see it. <laughs> And then they show it to you. And then the movie's not over for another hour. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, there's more. It's so good. I love this movie. Yeah, this is probably, in my opinion, the best direction of the year. Uh, the best cinematography. I, yeah. I, I love the way it looks. Uh, I The way he withholds so much information. You only get to see what's important to the director or what he wants you to see you don't you don't get anything else and it 
just keeps you you're right suspense is the word it's you're on the edge of your seat the entire time and you don't even know what the hell's going on uh <laughs> you know your head goes in a million directions you're trying to figure out what's going on and i don't know it, i mean I, my brother watched it recently and he was explaining it to me and he didn't quite like it as much as us because he the ending kind of took him out of it i'm like you're fucking insane uh he wanted a wolf to come and eat the baby. <laughs> uh, which that have been fucked up too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but either way, I just the whole the whole experience of the movie was uh, probably my best experience of the year, uh, and it's just so a twenty four. I mean, it really yeah. is. It's the most a twenty four movie of the year. Uh, I just I love everything about it, and. Uh, I'm so wholly original. I uh, and just who who thinks of this, and then who thinks of how to put this story together? Like yeah, Valdemario Hansen is a, is an absolute god level figure for me because oh, of just what a what a brain, what a brain of this guy. I love it. I love it so much. Oh yeah, I mean, and right away. I mean, Denis Villeneuve, Ari Aster, those are two guys that pop in my head right away that could make yeah. a movie like this. So I mean, he's almost instantly put in that level of you know direction as far as i'm concerned uh just it, just such a brilliant brilliant movie uh what is next oh yeah i, like, <laughs> I knew it was close so yeah <laughs> love this movie uh what's what do we got next nightmare alley i have not seen this Number six is uh, Nightmare Alley from Guillermo del Toro and starring Bradley Cooper as a uh, a man named Stanton who gets off of a bus in the middle of nowhere and uh, just kind of looking for work and stumbles into this uh, freak show circus. Um, And in in so doing, he finds himself a job and begins to learn the art of the con when it comes to the freak show. Um, specifically from Tony Collette's character, who is a, a psychic medium whose husband is played by David Strathairn. Uh, they show you how they do what they do, and he takes what they do, and he t- tries to take it to another level. And when he does, he sort of, there's this, there's this rule among people who do what he does that you don't cross into, and he crosses that line. And when he does, the, the movie takes a, a very fun and exciting turn there's so many exciting things about this. I don't want to spoil it because it's just so it's so lush and so beautiful, but also such a detailed, smart story with a final act and a final few minutes that is absolutely awesome. When you realize what's about to happen, it just it's a gut punch. It's so exciting. It's so perfect. You, you you can't believe you didn't predict it before this comes about, <laughs> but it's a, like this little visual detail that he adds right before the end that goes, oh, fuck. <laughs> that was a great, that was my reaction anyway. I just, I was like, oh, fuck. Well, that's about to happen. I was so excited. I love this movie. I can't wait to see it. And uh made multiple attempts to get there and it, it, it will happen i just <laughs> it's the number one movie i want to see right now that i haven't uh this is my number five giants being lonely uh another whole original movie uh kind of a slice slice of life type of movie with 
again, director playing a storyteller playing with you where you're, uh, you know, you're playing with who the main character is and what's going on. I, I don't know. I just just something brand new I had never seen before came early on in the year and I never forgot it. And I'm sure it's, I know it's showing up later on as well. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so I'll save my my thoughts till then. All right. The Lost Daughter, another movie I haven't seen yet. My number five is The Lost Daughter, starring Olivia Coleman as a uh, author and professor who is on vacation, who encounters a character played by Dakota Johnson, who has a daughter and is this you know sort of free spirited uh, woman who you know maybe had a child too soon and is maybe not happy about being a mom and just sort of takes on the role of being a mom just because it's kind of foisted upon her. And it begins to stir these memories for Olivia Coleman of her own children and her own time as a mother and how she, uh, in, a, in a flashback played by Jesse Buckley, she actually abandoned her children and went off to pursue her career and her life and eventually did go back to them. And this is a, this movie is a challenge. I got about halfway through this movie thinking I'm going to write an incredibly negative review about this movie. It is so painful to watch. It is so uncomfortable. My skin was crawling. I was cringing so hard in the first half of this movie. There's a scene between Olivia Coleman and Ed Harris that captures ridiculous awkwardness between two people in a way I've never felt so viscerally and i am an awkward person in general and i've been in awkward places <laughs> and this movie captures that feeling in such a way that i wanted to turn the movie off and olivia coleman continues to make choices throughout that are just like oh my god what are you doing don't do that <laughs> I just love it. It is a tight, it is a high wire act of, is this movie going to tip over into something I completely hate? And then it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it just keeps getting better and more interesting and more exciting. Jesse Buckley's incredible. Olivia Coleman is amazing. Dakota Johnson. And of course, just what a great, great uh, directorial debut by Maggie Gyllenhaal. She takes so many risks and creates a movie that is I mean, ungodly painful to watch at times because it's so real. It is such a real depiction of anxiety and awkwardness, and especially at a particular age, trying to exist in, a, in the world and, and be friendly and meet people, but also know that there are people out there who are just kind of going to reject you on the face because you're, you know, you're not young anymore. Oh my God, this movie. <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely need to check this one out. Uh, I, too, am awkward to the point where I don't do things because I anticipate awkwardness. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a challenge. I'm kind of, but I think I'm up for it. Yeah, it's exciting. It's on Netflix now, so everybody can watch it. Awesome. All right, I'm bringing back John in the Hole again. My favorite episode to record this year. Uh, we spent a lot of time with it when Sean had it, but I just. I just love this movie. Kind of reminds me of when we discovered Enemy, uh, yeah. and trying to figure that one out. And I don't know if we figured this one out, but we definitely had some ideas that I found that that really took this movie to another level for me. And just again, the key word to this year is wholly original, or if that's a phrase, I suppose. But I just I love the originality of this movie, and uh, 
you can go back and listen to what we said about it two seconds ago. <laughs> uh, what do we got next? The Green Knight. My number four is The Green Knight, starring Dev, Dev Patel and directed by David Lowry. An epic in, uh, um, you know, classic Arthurian literature, but but rendered in, in a low budget fashion. Like this is a, a, an entirely independent movie that doesn't have a billion dollar budget it uh, what it does is it it just uses amazing filmmaking technique to do what you know directors of the past needed you know millions upon millions of dollars to do and that makes it that much more impressive on a filmmaking standpoint but then you have just this incredible story that is so patient and so alive and so beautiful the cinematography is incredible uh dev patel's performance is amazing throughout the chapter by chapter nature of it the way he tells the story is i mean i i the two scenes in pig like are top tier like in terms of the scenes of the year but my favorite scene of the year is just this one shot in the great night the camera, the Green Knight has just been robbed by a character played by Barry Keegan. He's laying in the woods, seemingly waiting for death. The camera focuses on him and then begins to turn. And we watch the season change uh, just in the trees and the grass and the leaves. And we do an entire 360 back around to his corpse, not his dead body, but like his bones, like it's been picked clean. And then the camera does another one of those 360 pans and we're back to him alive. You can parse the meaning of that for days and days and days, but the point of it is it's just so amazingly beautiful and thoughtful at, in capturing you know, nature and life. And I mean, that one pan is just that much more brilliant than every other movie that came out this year. Uh, it's so good. Uh there's so many amazing sequences, but I got to talk about Barry Keegan because Barry Keegan plays this character who ends up robbing the Green Knight. Barry Keegan is maybe the most interesting and effective actor working today. He has got this sort of Dennis Hopper-like energy where he is just this constant chaos demon, and you have no idea what he's going to do. He even did that in The Eternals, where it's like you're making a superhero movie, but Barry Keegan is there just making his own movie in everything that he does. He did it in, in uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. He does it here. He does it in just about every movie that he's in, and I'm so fascinated by him. He is so amazing, but he's just part of this incredible tapestry of the Green Knight that builds to this amazing ending. Just such an amazing ending. Ralph Ineson delivering one line at the very end of this movie <laughs> floored me. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah, this movie's shown up later for me as well. Uh, just, you know, it is a retelling of a story that existed. And it's completely original. <laughs> it's, I think it also helps. Like we watched a, like a really terrible version of this same story, and it just kind of highlighted how incredible this version is. Yeah, but at the same time, we've been doing this podcast for a long time, and Sword and Sandal movies have come and gone. I don't think you've liked one of them. We've <laughs> no. gone back and talked about like Gladiator, and you didn't like that one. And there's so many of these movies that are just so repetitive, and some are fine and. You know, and they work for what they are, but this is just a whole new level of originality with that genre, and uh, I just absolutely love it. And we'll get back to it later on. 
I don't have much more to add than I already have, but we'll do that then. Uh, my number three is The Killing of Two Lovers. Again, probably could have been one, could have been ten. It's, it's that great of a movie. Uh, but it definitely is one of the best movies of the year, if not the best. Uh, just such a, again, amazing storytelling. The the. I mean the horror. I don't. I don't even know how to explain it. Uh, <laughs> you want to just go do it later on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a lot more to say about it. So yeah, let's talk about this in a couple minutes. <laughs> uh, my number. This is my yours. number three. Your number three. Yes, my number three is Giants being lonely. We just talked a little bit about it, but I'll I'll go into it further because. When I was writing my list, I was kind of like, where am I going to put Giants being lonely? And I st- so I sat down and started thinking about it again. And it occurred to me that, uh, you know, when, it, when you really get down to the bones of this movie, it's kind of like a small town version of Amadeus in a way. There's, the, there's this quite, of a, quite a Salieri Amadeus thing happening where you've got this one small town pitcher who really doesn't want to be as talented as he is. He's just so talented that it's undeniable. And then you have this other player who's just so incredibly jealous of him, who's kind of good in his own right, but you know nobody recognizes him as being good because he's being compared to this other kid. And the way that builds intention and excitement throughout is unique, and you don't see the ending coming. And when you don't see the ending coming, you get punched in the face by this fucking movie because of the the final choice that they make is so so brilliant. Uh, I I found I just keep finding new layers when I peel peel away at this movie, uh, and it's bizarre to me just how long it took to get to this. 2019 is when this movie came out and hit at uh, a little bit at Berlin, but it wasn't until that they kind of hooked up with uh, Guillermo del Toro and others who helped find it some distribution uh, this year, this last year. Uh, and I, most people have never heard of this movie. Most people have never watched this movie, but uh, they should because it's absolutely brilliant. And uh, Greer Patterson is a director to watch. He's got a lot of big ideas. He's an incredibly thoughtful director. Uh, he's got a strong visual sense uh, throughout and, and just a really smart taste for how a kind of small town Shakespearean storytelling. <laughs> That's a great comparison because when I watched it, you know, Richard Linklater was the guy that I kept. He reminded me of that. And but if you throw Amadeus into a Richard Linklater movie, it's kind of what this is, especially <laughs> kind of, his yeah. good ones. And <laughs> but that makes it so good. I mean almost better than something like I mean definitely better than something like Daisy Confused or Everybody Wants Some or uh, Slacker or whatever it it really is that good and I it, it's a shame that this isn't more talked about I feel kind of I don't know I, I think you watch it and you can't help but fall in love with it or at least be blown away by it uh, sucks you in and it holds you there and then it punches you in the face <laughs> hard (laughs) (laughs) i mean this came out we got we were able to see it early in the year and it's like it i knew it was at the top year list for a long time if i remember right yeah and you know it definitely hung out around that way for me too and i knew for that was an easy one to get on my list i just it was a matter of where do you put it again could be number one could be number 10 could be anywhere they're all it's (laughs) 
that's a fun year as far as yes, I'm concerned. I agree. All right, I got the Green Knight at whatever number we're on, number two. Uh, again, just the fact that we spent years talking about movies like this and not liking them, specifically you not liking them, and then have this come out and be so just awesome, so well made. Uh, it, it's a movie where you could literally take a picture of any frame of the film and put it on your wall. That's how beautiful True. it looks. Uh, and it's just... It, it's it creates its own world and it exists in it. And you just, I don't know. Everything about it is so smart. Uh, I, this definitely will be a repeat viewing movie. You know, obviously this and lamb are the two big a 24 movies for me in terms of truly a 24 looking movies. Uh, yeah. lamb goes that Ariasta route and this goes in another route, but still one of the, just two of the best movies of the year. Just absolutely love it. Yeah, eight twenty four and another fantastic year. Yeah, even the movie you called the worst movie the eight twenty four did is <laughs> getting rave reviews. <laughs> I still need to watch that. It's popping up everywhere now. <laughs> Which one is that? Uh, the porn star one. Oh yeah, Red Rocket. Yeah, fuck that movie. <laughs> I'm just saying it's showing up all over like my social media field feeds, <sighs> and I. I, mean, yeah, I, I want you to i want you I will to see watch it because uh, maybe you'll see it differently than i did but I, I really did hate that movie not as much as i hate being the ricardos or they're you know, like those are the two like worst movies of the year up to, up in terms of big movies that people have actually heard of right. the two worst movies the two worst movies of 2021 are movies nobody's ever heard of scavenger and the serpent are uh <laughs> yeah i'm i'm the only one who's had to suffer through those garbage movies scavenger is an outright crime that somebody needs to be arrested for uh and (laughs) the serpent is an action movie version of the room (laughs) (laughs) all right you're number two tick tick boom tick tick boom what an emotional experience this movie is it's an emotional roller coaster from beginning to end andrew garfield plays jonathan larson the uh the legendary creator of rent which you know whether you're not you're a fan of rent doesn't matter because what this is about is about getting to the heart of creativity in a way that few movies have ever gotten to like there are a lot of movies about the creative process and about creative people but few of them get right down to the heart of creation the way this movie does and it doesn't do that stupid thing where like every aspect of somebody's life is used as an inspiration like there's a movie called the man who invented christmas a charles dickens movie in which he writes a christmas carol and everybody in his life is a character from a christmas carol inspiring him to choose stupid shit to put into the fucking christmas it's so dumb it's so dumb uh this movie is not that this movie has just him, just that spark of inspiration that that uh, that is part of creativity and and the part of the lives of creative people. But it also has this ticking clock of the fact that you know that Jonathan Larson died right before uh, Rent was uh, you know became this worldwide phenomenon. Uh, and with that, there's a poignance to it. And uh, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda directs this so beautifully, and it's a musical but it's not Hamilton. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't use the, he doesn't use the tools of Lin-Manuel Miranda. He uses, he's, he's working from, he's working as Jonathan Larson here and letting Jonathan Larson's personality and music carry the story forward. It's based off of 
uh, a, a play by uh, him, a rock and roll play uh, by by Jonathan Larson that is kind of a one man show, but uh, him in a band and some singers doing this kind of one man Broadway show that is absolutely amazing. The the energy, the life of the musicals numbers in this film. Uh, are just incredible. It's so smart. It's funny that it pays tribute to Broadway in this amazing way with this amazing scene at a diner that is one of my favorite things I've ever seen. Uh, I've become kind of a Broadway nerd in the last year. Not that I plan on ever going to Broadway or anything, but I just I kind of fallen in love with the history and the excitement of Broadway. And and with this movie just kind of tapping into that, it, it reached me on an emotional level that few other movies reached me this year. I love this movie. I think Andrew Garfield's one of the best performances of the year uh, in this movie. Uh, it's not on my list simply because I didn't know where to put it. You know, it's kind of, again, I could throw all these movies on the ground and just kind of pick them up one by one and <laughs> be happy with that list. And yeah. I, this one probably, I mean, it's on my honorable mention, probably 11, uh, right there. I just didn't know where to put it, but it is, you know, what Lin-Manuel Miranda does really well is he, I, I want to say there's a movie earlier this year that was almost too much like him. Like, was it in the Heights or something like that? It was almost yeah. uh-huh. too Hamilton-y. This yeah. one, he does a great job of just walking that line of, you know, he uses a little bit of his his style but for the most part it's jonathan larson like you said and uh all he does is sprinkle on there just enough uh i i there's so much great about this movie i it's awesome everybody should go watch it if you don't like musicals which i am not really a musical guy uh this is one that really did win me over and probably why it should be on my list because it really was that good uh i just didn't know where it's so hard for me to judge this over you know pig or whatever else so right uh but yeah amazing movie my number one is pig uh again it could be 10 they're all neck and neck for me uh it was kind of the year of nicholas cage i know he let us down once uh but for the most part he, he knocked it out of the park over and over again and then you have this movie which I don't know it, it it just really really good uh we we went into it earlier and i just i love the way they walked the fine line of normal and weird and you know sweet and weird this really small right. movie in this john wick <laughs> universe <laughs> i'm totally kidding uh love this movie though this this is not a poster for that movie by the way this is not a poster for <laughs> those I know, cages. but i liked it okay <laughs> <laughs> the the number of wrong posters that I ran into, this is the only one I use, but uh it made yeah, me laugh. It, it's it, it's a deserving uh number one. It's number ten on my list and uh you know the, the best movies of the year are all so close uh this year, aside from one for me that we'll talk about in a minute. Uh that but yeah, I just adore uh, I adore Pig and Nicolas Cage's performance is just just wonderful. And your number one is the Killing of Two Lovers. Yes, the Killing of Two Lovers, starring Clayton Crawford as a uh, a husband and father who is seeing his life uh, slowly slip away from him as his wife is moving on with another man. This movie 
caught me from moment one. Uh, just this sleeping couple, uh, this perfect pitch, perfect quiet. Uh, and then this splash cut to this man holding a gun, standing against a blank wall, uh, pointed at them. Uh, you don't know what happens in that moment. Uh, he suddenly he's climbing out the window and you're wondering that he just killed those two people. What just happened? Uh, and he's just kind of jogging down the street back to his house, which is not far away. Uh, and from that moment on, I was just riveted by this movie, by what, what director Robert Machoyan was thinking and how he was playing out this story and how incredibly relatable it is now. I've never held a gun on anybody, but I mean, I get the emotions at play here. I get the, uh, I get the the ideas at play here, and I can relate to this character and the way he uses film technique to keep you in this character sphere, but at the same time, being incredibly fair. Like the reason why his wife left is very obvious. Like he makes it clear that she's not a villain. She didn't do anything to harm him. She didn't cheat on him. Uh, she's simply trying to get on with life, which is something that he's been unwilling to do, which is why she decided to leave him in the first place. He's not going anywhere. He's not doing anything. He's not trying anymore. And she was drowning and she had to get herself out of it. And uh, she falls into this other relationship because of that. Uh, And he doesn't know how to deal with that. And, you know, his stunted emotional state is part of the story. People have, you know, you've got to, you've got to embrace the idea that he, that he doesn't understand why she left him. He doesn't get that. And so he's angry and frustrated and that's flying out in inappropriate ways. That's the point of the movie. So many people get upset with him as a character. Uh, and you're supposed to, asshole. <laughs> Like you're supposed that's how you're supposed to feel you're supposed to judge him but also understand like you if you've never had your heart broken before and you don't understand why your heart was broken that's then i don't understand you 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 have to have felt that at some point in your life and i i just find the 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 emotional complexity of this movie is so strong but then you have that visual element where machoyan is using the frame to to make this character smaller or bigger or you know just capture his emotional state the the barren wasteland around him the 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 mountains that dwarf him in the in the in the background you know they just the little tiny visual touches that he used uses to underline where this man is in his life and why he's there and why that's such a difficult place to be there's just so many layers to this visually and emotionally that it just came together in a way that speaks to me like no other movie spoke to me in 2021. And that's why I love the killing of two lovers. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> uh, just an absolute phenomenal movie. You never really know where it's going. You, you get, you want it. You're yes. Yeah. You, get frustrated by the decisions he makes, but buy into everything he does. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it really is remarkable. There's uh, a scene also in this movie that is in your mind, like the, much like the lost daughter, there's a movie that there's a scene in this movie that is so uncomfortable. I wanted to stop the movie. He's having a confrontation with this guy outside of his former home. Uh, and the guy is just being an absolute smug prick. 
And while our guy is not a good person in many ways, like he's a fuck up in many different ways, you're, you're, you're thrust into his, you're on his side and you're sympathizing with him because you just, you know, this guy isn't a good guy. Uh, and you want that fight so bad, but you also know that his wife is there. And if he fights this guy, that's only going to get him into more trouble. And the tension of that scene is so immense. I almost had to stop the movie to give myself an emotional break from just the, the extreming tension of this. I was once in the midst of a situation where my, my ex and her uh, new man were moving on together and I was there trying to be a supportive friend to, to my ex and he gave me a leather jacket and I wanted to just punch him in the face so hard and bury him in this leather jacket. Like, uh, don't try to trade me a leather jacket for this woman I love. Don't do that. <laughs> no, that's not what you think you're doing, but that's what this is like. And I hate you so much. And so I've got that, you know, kind of emotional connection in the back of my head as I'm watching that scene. And it just made it that much more painful, but also very, very real. Oh, that scene was that scene was phenomenal. I mean, you just want her to see it, what you see. Uh, and yeah, she doesn't. And then <laughs> where it goes, you're just like, fuck. Uh, I mean, it. it I don't know. I. I definitely can't argue for where I would place any movie. Why you, this is, I, I totally understand why this would be a number one for anybody. It, uh, again, great filmmaking, great storytelling, great visuals, uh, great use of the scenery. Like you said, uh, with the mountains, making them just burying him. Uh, mm. uh, there's one, there's one little tiny scene that always I always come back to in my mind, and it's just this brilliant use of framing. He's out with his kids. They're playing with this stomp rocket thing, and his daughter is you know very upset with him for you know not doing enough to keep their family together. She's off on one side of the frame. Him and his littler children are on the other side of the frame, and slowly he begins to bring them together, but he leaves the space on the right-hand side of the screen just leaves it there even as she's inching closer to the mo and it's just this brilliant visual creation of <laughs> the way he uses this empty space to underline the emotions of the scene is so perfect i just adore it i adore it so much yeah i mean this is the year i mean usually there's one or two perfect movies there's like 10 or 15 <laughs> like and i'm not even kidding like no like you, you perfect movies Pig, John of the Hole, <laughs> Tick, Tick, Boom, uh, yeah, those, uh, just yeah. This, and what I can't wait for you to see Nightmare Alley. Like you're going to see this, you're going to see that too. Yeah, and I mean, for honorable mentions for me that I, you know, I mentioned the Power of the Dog. Uh, I really liked that movie a lot. Annette, I had a hard time getting into, but I just from a pure artistic perspective, I thought that was a pretty fantastic movie. Uh, I kind of liked Cruella for a blockbuster. Uh, I thought Bad Trip was funny, but don't doesn't deserve to be on the list. And uh, Rollers, I thought was yeah, I love Rollers. Uh, I also got on my uh, honorable mentions uh, Zola, another A twenty four movie that uh, <laughs> is uh, incredibly smart and clever and funny and weird. Uh, I really dig it. Bergman Island with uh, Vicky Creeps and. Uh, 
Uh, Tim Roth is a real lovely tribute to to movies and movie making, and also you know, the complexity of of uh, Ingmar Bergman and his ideas about marriage and and family. Uh, Dune is uh, maybe the best blockbuster of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, visually inventive, brilliant uh, work of blockbuster filmmaking. Last night in Soho, uh, Edgar Wright nailing uh, sort of a horror movie time travel thing <laughs> it is just this uh, sort of ineffable thing that's all its own and uh, just incredibly brilliant spencer with uh, Kristen stewart as princess die uh, pablo lorraine is an amazing director and uh, brings her home in a way that i don't think any movie possibly could any straight ahead biopic of princess diana is never going to be as emotionally rich or thoughtful as as spencer uh, truly is the Novice uh, arrived very late in the year, starring Isabel Furman, uh, a movie about obsession with uh, being the best. And uh, just so what a grind uh, that movie is and, it, and the way it captures somebody who is grinding it out quite literally is uh, quite quite amazing. Shiva Baby, a, a, a comedy slash horror film <laughs> about a, a, a Jewish girl going to a, a wake a Jewish wake and having to endure her family. Uh, Emily Seligman, the director, using this horror movie score to underline her anxiety uh, as this uh, very unique story is played out. Uh, very smart, very funny movie. And then Licorice Pizza, I think, is another one that you're absolutely going to love, especially Bradley Cooper's brief appearance in that movie is one of the highlights of the year and being just so incredibly funny. Uh, just very briefly, it's not the movie very long, but just an incredible, brief, incredibly brief moment. He's so, so funny. But there are so many great moments in Licorice Pizza. Uh, it's it's the least serious movie of P.T. Anderson's career. And maybe if I had something more to grasp onto, I, I might have slipped it into the top 10. But it's it's definitely one of, again, he's he's a genius. And he's one of those guys where I think I've mentioned before, every other movie I like, the other one I hate. So it's like, <laughs> like, hate, like, hate. And right, this will land on the like. Uh, so um, I'm definitely, this, that, Nightmare Alley, and The Last Night in Soho are the three that I feel like uh, I felt bad for not seeing. At the same time, being that they're studio movies, I'm kind of happy they weren't on your list. Not that I mean Nightmare Alley was, but I, I think it's cool. Like I felt bad having you know even Don't Look Up on my list. You know, a studio movie because uh, I really like the idea of all these small movies actually being the best movies of the year. Uh, and even the last two, I felt bad having that on there. But uh, uh, I don't know. I just again, I this is really is a kind of a sleeper of a year that unfortunately a lot of people aren't getting to enjoy as much as we are but it's their loss it's it's true (laughs) uh let's see next week we've got see for me the 355 american siege american gadley gadfly gadfly i gotta write my words better uh king car Oh, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> Starts with an R. <laughs> Rucker. Rucker. I forgot the R at the end of it. And then I'm going to watch The Tender Bar, uh, which you have described as the most acting of any movie in 2021. <laughs> and notice it wasn't on his list. So we'll I, see love, I love you, Ben Affleck, but uh, 
Long Island is not something that I get behind. <laughs> uh, 91 cuffs, hand the rocks to cradle, and free jack come out. And uh, already, uh, 92 actually. 92. Yeah. <laughs> but it's already, 92 is already better than 91. <laughs> yeah, notice we didn't do a best of 91 because it's just like Barton Fink, Sons of the Lambs. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Don't need to go any further. It's all garbage. <laughs> Uh, let's see. We've been going a while. Do you want to do a flick chart or? I'm up for it if you are. All right, let's go until my dog barks. <laughs> Basically, means my wife's home. So, <laughs> uh, let's log in here and see what we got. The Reader Crossroads. <laughs> the Reader. <laughs> I don't know. I've not seen Latrue. Revolutionary Road, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. Great. Deadpool Highlander. Deadpool. Repo. Have you seen this? The genetic opera? Uh, not, it's not important enough to remember. <laughs> the Birdcage, Harry Potter, and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I actually went to a Harry Potter themed New Year's Eve and watched five Harry Potter movies and the new HBO documentary reunion. Is <laughs> that fun? <laughs> I had fun. I did have Good. fun. I stayed at home. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got no complaints, though. It was a nice weekend to actually spend time with the family for the first time in a long time. Uh, a Quiet Place, Judge Dread. A Quiet Place. How was your Christmas? I'm pretty good? boring. Yeah, nothing much. A lot of people, obviously everybody misses my dad, and right. that was kind of the over the overarching theme of, of Christmas. Yeah. My wife was, she knows I like wrestling, so her presents are always making fun of me. <laughs> so she got me this, this Rocco Sacco cereal box, whatever it is. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like okay, what is that? That's awesome. And a Jim Ross card that he autographed. And I was like, Jim Ross? I mean, I love Jim Ross. Don't get me wrong. I'm just right. like, really? <laughs> Where did you think of this? <laughs> She's like, isn't that the guy with the annoying voice? I'm like, no, that's Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> uh, now, you know, you've never seen an episode of AEW, have you? <laughs> Uh, I have seen a couple and I've heard he's, I mean, he's getting older, so I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to bad mouth the guy. <laughs> he's got skin cancer. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, the Avengers with a weapon. <laughs> um, I'm split. I'm split on that. I know, I know which way you're going on it. Yeah. I <laughs> uh, just go with Lethal Weapon. It's fine. It's a, they like the same movie. <laughs> That's fair enough. Bloodsport, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol. Mission Impossible. Any given Sunday, Gone with the Wind. Any given Sunday, fuck Gone with the Wind. <laughs> it's hard to get any given Sunday to be a picked movie. <laughs> uh, Diner, The Replacements. Any given Sunday is slightly less racist. Slightly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, diner. I'll take diner. 
Replacements is a terrible movie. Highlander, Coyote Ugly. Coyote Ugly. Greed. Looper Before Sunset. Before Sunset. I love Looper, though. As do I. A Ghost Story Hancock. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen a Ghost Story, so I can't answer. I don't don't know what to pick on that, honestly. (laughs) All right. I'll just skip them both then. (laughs) Uh, I've seen neither of those. Captain America, the first Avenger, the Bone Collector. Captain America. Agreed. Live free or die hard, the wizard. The wizard. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> Star Trek V, the final frontier, Charlie Wilson's War. Charlie Wilson's War. Agreed. Tremors, the Babadook. The Babadook. Black Swan, my stepmother's an alien. Black Swan. The Land Before Time 3. Never heard of it. Or I've never seen it. <laughs> I have heard of it. I watched Jenny Nicholson rank them all on YouTube for some reason because she's just hilarious. <laughs> Laura, have you seen that one? Yeah, Laura's better than Independence Day. Sweet. Toy Story, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That's a tough one. That is a tough one. I'm going to go Toy Story. But Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is really, really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I got to go Toy Story, but that's hard. Recency bias makes me want to go Spider-Man a little bit, but I I'll, I agree with you. Have you seen the cab, cabinet of Dr. Caligari? I saw that at a uh, independent theater in Rock Island with a with a, a person in person playing the piano to it. It was amazing. Is it better than 101 Dalmatians? I uh, yeah yeah it is. <coughs> Clerks two epic movie. That's not even Clerks fair. two. Not a contest. Leave the weapon monster. That's not fair. Monster. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Dunkirk Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol Mission Impossible I'll follow you there Back to the Future Braveheart Back to the Future Yeah Michael Clayton The Nightmare Before Christmas Michael Clayton Hot ch- The Hot Chick Terminator Salvation the only thing that can make me choose Terminator Salvation is the hot chick. <laughs> nice. I didn't think you'd be able to come up with something. That worked out good. <laughs> Bad Trip, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Although, like I said, Bad Trip was a lot of fun. I'm assuming <laughs> you haven't seen Hellraiser Bloodline. <laughs> I have seen Hellraiser Bloodline. Really? Then I'm curious which one you like better. Three from Hell. Three from Hell, not even that good. Uh, <laughs> That's how bad Hellraiser is. Parasite, the Wolverine. Parasite. Yeah. Too Fast, Too Furious, Joe Dirt. Too Fast, Too Furious. Smarter movie than Joe Dirt. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> <laughs> Parasite, Witness. Parasite. Cold War, 12 Years a Slave. 
That's a good one. Those are two really good movies. Um, 12 Years a Slave. Why don't I remember Cold War? <laughs> uh, it's a foreign film. Uh, played in Cannes. That would explain it. How Green I've was never my- seen How Green Was My Valley. I should because I think it's a Best Picture winner. All right. The Martian Panic Room. The Martian. Very rarely will I go. Will I go Ridley Scott over D- David Fincher? But on that one, I will. Ooh, Manchester by the Sea. I can marry make a porno. So mean. I love Zach and Mary so much, but I can't. I can't pick that over Manchester no. by the Sea. I can't do it. Yeah, Manchester by the Sea is a great movie. So amazing, yeah. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, Castaway. Where are you going on this? I mean, it's back to the bar. I think Castaway is amazing acting. I don't think the movie's great. Jumanji is a safe, easy movie to be successful with. So I like Jumanji a little better. All right, I'll go there. But I I can appreciate Castaway. Uh, I've not seen I Vitelloni. I want to because it's uh, the Fellini. Sky High or Sense and Sensibility? Sky High. Awesome. Sense and Sensibility is quite good, but not as entertaining. I've seen that movie way too many times for my age because <laughs> I, I was old enough <laughs> to not need to see that movie a million times when it came out. Uh. I've not seen Johnny Eager. I don't know what I don't know that movie. Right. Gamer, the curious case of Benjamin Button. <laughs> the curious case of Benjamin Button. Gamer is utter garbage. Empire Records, Rambo three. Empire Records all the way. It's very easy. The wife, Warrior. The wife. I haven't seen it, so I'll go with you. Although I know you didn't like Warrior as much as I did. Child's Play Ghost World. Ghost World. Solaris, Big Trouble Little China, the remake of Solaris. Solaris. Justice League, I am Sam. Justice League. (laughs) Either version. Doesn't matter if it's the Snyder Cut or not. (laughs) I am Sam is unwatchable. Rocky, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Rocky. What do you think Josh would have picked? (laughs) (laughs) Malcolm X, Merlin. Malcolm X. The Amazing Spider-Man, The Straight Story. Uh, The Straight Story. I don't hate Amazing Spider-Man. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Matchstick Men. Temple of Doom. On Her Majesty's Secret Service or Inspector Gadget? <laughs> Ironically, I, I think Her Majesty's Secret Service is actually the, the best Bond movie because it's got the it's because it's got the least the least you know samey Bond, I guess. <laughs> Night of the Iguana. I've not seen that one. I need to see that one. But Hidalgo, Rain of Fire. Rain of Fire. Hidalgo is incredibly snooze inducing. Clue the Green Hornet. I'm gonna 
get a lot of hate for this, but I like the Green Hornet. I want to. Wa- I I love Seth Rogen, and I I would watch that over Clue. I agree with you. The Great Mouse Detective or Beavis and Butthead to America. Beavis and Butthead to America. Funny fucking movie. The Wolverine, Notting Hill. Notting Hill. Three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. I've never seen the other one. Three billboards are Cries and Whispers. Or have you not seen that one either? It's another one I need to see. Three billboards do a little. <laughs> Three billboards. Superfly, Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and Butthead. Agreed. Kung Fu Hustle, The Birdcage. I, I hate them both. You pick. All right. I say <laughs> we're done. all right i'll talk to you later yeah uh, american gadfly is available for rent tomorrow if you want to check it out it's a documentary on presidential candidate mike gravel you know anything about him no you'll be fascinated it's it's something (laughs) <laughs> his, his, his presidential candidacy in 2019 was run by three teenagers. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. You got to watch it. Awesome. I will do that then. All right. All right. Talk cool. to you later. See ya. Bye.